You can support Sapphire Planet by visiting the online store at sapphireplanet.com. Welcome. Your journey is just beginning. are now entering the Sapphire Planet. You are now in the Sapphire Planet. Placing a colony on a natural body would provide an ample source of material for construction and other uses in space, including shielding from cosmic radiation the energy required to send objects from the moon to space is much less than from Earth to space. This could allow the moon to serve as a source of construction materials within its cis-lunar space. Rockets launched from the moon would require less locally produced propellant than rockets launched from Earth. Some proposals, including using electric acceleration devices, or mass drivers, to propel objects off the moon without building rockets. Others have proposed momentum exchange tethers. Furthermore, the moon does have some gravity, which experience to date indicates may be vital for fetal development and long-term human health. Whether the moon's gravity, roughly one-sixth of Earth, is adequate for this purpose, however, is uncertain. In addition, the moon is the largest, closest body in the solar system to the Earth. While some Earth-crossers asteroids occasionally pass closer, the moon's distance is constantly within a small range close to 384,400 kilometers. This proximity has several advantages. A lunar base could be a site for launching rockets with locally manufactured fuel to distant planets such as Mars. Launching rockets from the moon would be easier than from Earth because the moon's gravity is lower, requiring a lower escape velocity. A lower escape velocity would require less propellant, but there is no guarantee that less propellant would cost less money than that required to launch from Earth. 
The energy required to send objects from Earth to the Moon is lower than for most other bodies. Transit time is short. The Apollo astronauts made the trip in three days and future technologies could improve on this time. The short transit time would also allow emergency supplies to quickly reach the Moon colony from Earth or allow a human crew to evacuate relatively quickly from the Moon to Earth in case of emergency. This could be an important consideration when establishing the first human colony. If the Moon were colonized, then it could be tested if humans can survive in low gravity. Those results could be utilized for a viable Mars colony as well. The round-trip communication delay to Earth is less than three seconds, allowing near-normal voice and video conversations, and allowing some kinds of remote control of machines from Earth that are not possible for any other celestial bodies. The delay for other solar system bodies is minutes or hours. For example, round-trip communication time between Earth and Mars ranges from about eight to 40 minutes. This again could be partially valuable in an early colony where life-threatening problems requiring Earth's assistance could occur. On the lunar side, on the near side of it, the Earth appears large and is always visible as an object 60 times brighter than the Moon appears from Earth. Unlike more distant locations where the Earth would be seen merely as a star-like object, much as the planets appear from Earth. As a result, a lunar colony might feel less remote to humans living there. Building observatory facilities on the Moon from lunar materials allows many of the benefits of space-based facilities without the need to launch these into space. The lunar soil, although it poses a problem for any moving parts of a telescope, can be mixed with carbon nanotubes and epoxies in the construction of mirrors up to 50 meters in diameter. It is relatively nearby. Astronomical seeing is not a concern Certain craters near the poles are permanently dark and cold, and thus especially useful for infrared telescopes and radio telescopes on the far side would be shielded from the radio chatter of Earth. A lunar zenith telescope could be made cheaply with ionic liquid. A farm at the lunar north pole could provide eight hours of sunlight per day during the local summer by rotating crops in and out of the sunlight, which is continuous for the entire summer. A beneficial temperature, radiation protection, insects for pollination, and all other plant needs could be artificially provided during the local summer for a cost. One estimate suggests that half a hectare space farm could feed 100 people. However, there are several disadvantages to the moon as a colony site. The long lunar night would impede reliance on solar power, 
and require that the colony exposed to the sunlit equatorial surface be designed to withstand large temperature extremes, about 95 Kelvin to about 400 degrees Kelvin. An exception to this restriction are the so-called peaks of eternal light located at the lunar north pole that are constantly bathed in sunlight. The rim of Shackleton Crater towards the lunar south pole also has a near constant solar illumination. Other areas near the poles that get light most of the time could be linked in a power grid. The temperature one meter below the surface of the moon is estimated to be near constant over the period of a month, varying with latitude from near 220 degrees Kelvin at the equator to near 150 degrees Kelvin at the poles. The moon is highly depleted in volatile elements, such as nitrogen and hydrogen. Carbon, which forms volatile oxides, is also depleted. A number of robot probes, including Lunar Prospector, gathered evidence of hydrogen generally in the moon's crust consistent with that will be expected from solar wind and higher concentrations near the poles. There had been some disagreement whether the hydrogen must necessarily be in the form of water. The mission of the Lunar Crater Observation and Sensing Satellite, known as LACROSS, proved in 2009 that there is water on the moon. This water exists in ice from perhaps mixed in small crystals in the regolith in a colder landscape than people have ever mined. Other volatiles containing carbon and nitrogen were found in the same cold trap as ice. If no sufficient means is found for recovering these volatiles on the moon, they would need to be imported from some other source to support life and industrial processes. Violations would need to be stringently recycled. This would limit the colony's rate of growth and keep it dependent on imports. The transportation cost of importing volatiles from Earth could be reduced by constructing the upper stage of supply ships using materials high in volatiles, such as carbon fiber and plastics. The 2006 announcement by the Keck Observatory that the binary Trojan asteroid 617 Patroclus and possibly large numbers of other Trojan objects in Jupiter orbit are likely composed of water ice with a layer of dust and the hypothesized large amounts of water ice on the closer main belt asteroid 1 Ceres suggests that importing volatiles from this region via the interplanetary transport network may be practical in the not-so-distant future. However, these possibilities are dependent on complicated and expensive resource utilizations from the mid to outer solar system, which is not likely to become available to a moon colony for a significant period of time. It is uncertain whether the low one-sixth gravity on the moon is strong enough to prevent 
detrimental effects on human health in the long term. Exposure to weightlessness over month-long periods have been demonstrated to cause deterioration of physiological systems, such as loss of bone and muscle mass, and a depressed immune system. Similar effects could occur in a low-gravity environment, although virtually all research into the health effects of low gravity had been limited to zero gravity. The lack of a substantial atmosphere for insulation results in temperature extremes and makes the moon's surface conditions somewhat like a deep vacuum of space. It also leaves the lunar surface exposed to half as much radiation as in interplanetary space, with the other half black blocked by the moon itself underneath the colony. Raising the issues of the health threat from cosmic rays and the risk of proton exposure from the solar wind. Lunar rubble can protect living quarters from cosmic rays, shielding against solar flares during expeditions outside is more problematic. When the moon passes through the magneto tail of the Earth, the plasma sheets whip across its surface. Electrons crash into the moon and are released again by UV photons on the day side, but build up voltages on the dark side. This causes a negative charge buildup from minus 200 volts to a minus 1,000 volts. The lack of an atmosphere increased the chances of the colony being hit by meteors. Even small pebbles and dusts, micrometeoroids, have the potential to damage or destroy insufficiently protected structures. Moon dust is an extremely abrasive, glassy substance formed by micrometeorites and unrounded due to the lack of weathering. It sticks to everything. It can damage equipment and it may be toxic. Growing crops on the moon faces many difficult challenges due to the long lunar nights, which are about 354 hours, extreme variation in surface temperatures, exposure to solar flares, nitrogen-poor soil, and lack of insects for pollination. Due to the lack of any atmosphere on the moon, Plants would need to be grown in sealed chambers, though experiments have shown that plants can thrive at pressures much lower than those on Earth. The use of electric lighting to compensate for the 354-hour night might be difficult. A single acre of plants on Earth enjoys a peak 4 megawatts of sunlight power at noon. Experiments conducted by the Soviet space program in the 1970s suggest it is possible to grow conventional crops with the 354-hour light, 354-hour dark cycle. A variety of concepts for lunar agricultural have been proposed, including the use of minimal artificial light to maintain plants during the night, and the use of fast-growing crops that might be started as seedlings with artificial light and be harvestable at the end of one lunar day. 
One of the less obvious difficulties lies not with the moon itself, but rather with the political and national interests of the nations engaged in colonization. Assuming that colonization efforts were able to overcome the difficult outlined above, there would likely be issues regarding the rights of nations and their colonies to exploit resources on the lunar surface, to stake territorial claims and other issues of sovereignty, which would have to be agreed upon before one or more nations established a permanent presence on the moon. The ongoing negotiations and debate regarding the Arctic is a good case study for prospective lunar colonization efforts in that it highlights the numerous pitfalls of developing, inhabiting a location that is subject to the claims of multiple sovereign nations. Russian astronomer Vladislav V. Shemchenko proposed in 1988 the following three criteria that a lunar outpost should meet. One, good conditions for transport operations. Two, a great number of different types of natural objects and features on the moon of scientific interest. And three, natural resources such as oxygen. The abundance of certain minerals such as iron oxide varies dramatically over the lunar surface. While a colony might be located anywhere, potential locations for a lunar colony fall into three broad categories. One, polar regions. There are two reasons why the North Pole and the South Pole of the Moon might be attractive locations for a human colony. First, there is evidence for the presence of water in some continuously shaded areas near the poles. Second, the Moon's axis of rotation is sufficiently close to being perpendicular to the ecliptic plane. That's the radius of the Moon's polar circles is less than 50 kilometers. Power collection stations could be there, therefore be plausibly located so that at least one is exposed to sunlight at all times, thus making it possible to power colonies from polar colonies almost exclusively with solar energy. Solar power could be unavailable only during a lunar eclipse, but these events are relatively brief and absolutely predictable. Any such colony would therefore require a reserve energy supply that could temporarily sustain a colony during a lunar eclipse or in the event of any incident or malfunction affecting solar power collection. Hydrogen fuel cells would be ideal for this purpose. Since the hydrogen needed could be sourced locally using the moon's polar water, and surplus solar power. Moreover, due to the moon's uneven surface, some sites have nearly continuous sunlight. For example, Malapert Mountain, located near the Shackleton Crater at the lunar south pole, offers several advantages as a site. It is exposed to the sun most of the time. Two closely spaced arrays of solar panels would receive nearly continuous power. Its proximity to Shackleton Crater 
it's 70 miles away, means that it could provide power and communications to the crater. This crater is potentially valuable for astronomical observation. An infrared instrument would benefit from the very low temperatures. A radio telescope would benefit from being shielded from the Earth's broad spectrum of radio interference. The nearby Shoemaker and other craters are in constant deep shadows and might contain valuable concentrations of hydrogen and other volatiles. At around 5,000 meters or 16,000 feet elevation, it offers line-of-sight communications over a large area of the moon as well as to Earth. The South Pole Attican Basin is located at the lunar South Pole. This is the second largest known impact basin in the solar system, as well as the oldest and biggest impact feature on the moon, and should provide geologists access to deepest, deeper layers of the moon's crust. NASA chose to use a South Polar site for the Lunar Outpost Reference Design in the Exploration System Architecture Study chapter on lunar architecture. At the North Pole, the rim of the Perry Crater has been proposed as a favorable location for a base. Examination of images from the Clementine mission appear to show that parts of the crater rim are permanently illuminated by sunlight as a result, the temperature conditions are expected to remain very stable at this location, averaging minus 50 Celsius or minus 58 degrees Fahrenheit. This is comparable to winter conditions on Earth's poles of cold in Siberia and Antarctica. The interior of Perry Crater may also harbor hydrogen deposits. A 1994 by static radar experiment performed during the Clementine mission suggested the presence of water ice around the South Pole. The Lunar Prospector spacecraft reportedly enhanced hydrogen abundances at the South Pole and even more at the North Pole in 2008. On the other hand, results reported using the Arecibo radio telescope have been interpreted by some to indicate that the anomalous Clementine radar signatures are not indicative of ice, but surface roughness. This interpretation, however, is not universally agreed upon. A potential limitation of the polar regions is that the inflow of solar wind can create electrical charge on the leeward side of crater rims. The resulting voltage difference can affect electrical equipment change surface chemistry, erode surfaces, and le levitate, levitate lunar dust. Second would be equatorial regions. The lunar equatorial regions are likely to have higher concentrations of helium-3, rare on Earth but much sought after for use in nuclear fusion research because the solar wind has a higher angle of incidence. They also enjoy an advantage in extralunar traffic. The rotation advantage for launching material is slight due to the moon's slow rotation, but the corresponding orbit coincides with the ecliptic, 
nearly coincides with the lunar orbit around Earth and nearly coincides with the equatorial plane of the Earth. Several probes have landed in the Oceanus Procularium area. There are many areas and features that could be subject to long-term studies, such as the Reiner Gamma anomaly and the dark-floored Grimaldi crater. Third is the far side. The lunar far side lacks direct communications with Earth. Though a communication satellite at the L2 Lagrange point or network of orbiting satellites could enable communication between the far side of the moon and Earth. The far side is also a good location for a large radio telescope because it is well shielded from the Earth. Due to the lack of an atmosphere, the location is also suitable for any array of optical telescopes similar to the very large telescope in Chile. To date, there has been no ground exploration of the far side. Scientists have estimated that the highest concentrations of helium-3 will be found in the Maria on the far side, as well as the near side areas containing concentrations of the titanium-based mineral ilmenite. On the near side of the Earth, and its magnetic field partially shields the surface from the solar winds during each Earth's orbit. But the far side is fully exposed and thus should receive a somewhat greater proportion of the ion stream. Lastly are lunar lava tubes. They are a potential location for constructing a lunar base. Any intact lava tube on the moon could serve as a shelter from the severe environment of the lunar surface with its frequent meteorite impacts, high energy ultraviolet radiation, and energetic particles, and extreme dineural temperature variations. Lava tubes provide ideal positions for shelter because of their access to nearby resources. They also have proven themselves as a reliable structure having withstood the test of time for billions of years. An underground colony would escape the extreme of temperature on the moon's surface. The average temperature on the surface of the moon is about minus five degrees Celsius. The day period, which is about 354 hours, has an average temperature of about 107 degrees Celsius. Although it can rise as high as 123 degrees Celsius. The night period, also 354 hours, has an average temperature of minus 153 degrees Celsius. Underground, both periods would be around 23 degrees Celsius, minus 23 degrees Celsius, or minus 9 degrees Fahrenheit and humans could install ordinary heaters. One such lava tube was discovered in early 2009. Now onto the structures and the habitats that we would make on the moon. There have been numerous proposals regarding habitat modules. The designs have evolved throughout the years as mankind's knowledge about the moon has grown. 
and as the technological possibilities have changed. The proposed habitats range from the actual spacecraft landers or their used fuel tanks to inflatable modules of various shapes. Some hazards of the lunar environment, such as sharp temperature shifts, lack of atmospheric or magnetic field, which means higher levels of radiation and micrometeoroids, and long nights were unknown earlier on. Proposals have shifted as these hazards were recognized and taken into consideration. Some suggest building the lunar colony underground, which would give protection from radiation and micrometeoroids. This would also greatly reduce the risk of air leakage as the colony would be fully sealed from the outside, except for a few exits to the surface. The construction of an underground base would probably be more complex. One of the first machines from Earth might be a remote-controlled excavating machine. Once created, some sort of hardening would be necessary to avoid collapse. Possibly a spray-on concrete-like substance made from available materials. A more porous insulating material also made in situ could then be applied. Some have suggested a melt-as-you-go machine that would leave glassy internal surfaces. Mining methods such as the room and pillar might also be used. Inflatable self-sealing fabric habitats might then be put in place to retain air. Eventually an underground city can be constructed. Farms set up underground would need artificial sunlight. An alternative to excavating, a lava tube could be covered and insulated thus solving the problem of radiation exposure. A possibly easier solution would be to build the lunar base on the surface and cover the modules with lunar soil. The lunar regolith is composed of a unique blend of silica and iron containing compounds that may be fused into glass-like solids using microwave energy. Some have studied the mechanical properties of lunar glass, and it's shown that it is a promising material for making rigid structures, if coated with metal to keep moisture out. This may allow for the use of lunar bricks in structural design, or the vitrification of loose dirt to form hard ceramic crust. A lunar base built on the surface would need to be protected by improved radiation and micrometeoroid shielding. Building the lunar base inside a deep crater provide at least partial shielding against radiation and micrometeoroids. Artificial magnetic fields have been proposed as a means to provide radiation shielding for long-range deep space manned missions and it might be possible to use technology on a lunar colony. Some regions of the moon possess strong local magnetic fields that might partially mitigate exposure to charged solar and galactic particles. In a turn from the usual engineer-designed lunar habitats, architectural firms propose building a construction 3D printer technology in January 2013 that would use lunar regolith raw materials to produce lunar building structures 
while using enclosed inflatable habitats for housing the human occupants inside the hard shell lunar structures. Overall, these habitats would require only 10% of the structure mass to be transported from Earth, while using local lunar materials for the other 90% of the structure mass. Printed lunar soil will provide both radiation and temperature insulation. Inside a lightweight, pressurized inflatable with the same dome shape will be the living environment for the hum first human moon settlers. The building technology would include mixing lunar material with magnesium oxide, which will turn the moon stuff into a pulp that can be sprayed to form the block. When a binding salt is applied that converts this material into a stone-like solid. Terrestrial versions of this 3D printing building technology are already printing two meter of building materials per hour with the next generation printer capable of printing three and a half meters per hour, sufficient to complete a building in a week. In 2010, the Moon Capital Competition offered a prize for a design of a lunar habitat intended to be underground international commercial center capable of supporting a residential staff of 60 people and their families. The moon capital is intended to be self-sufficient with respect to food and other material required for life support. The prize money was provided primarily by the Boston Society of Architects, Google Lunar, Lunar X Prize, and the New England Council of the American Institute of Aeronautics and Astronomics. On January 31, 2013, the European Space Agency, working with an independent architectural firm, tested a 3D printed structure that could be constructed of lunar regolith for use as a moon base. Now that we've got the habitat part of it covered, the next part is energy. How are we gonna provide energy to those people in the colony on the moon? The first example would be nuclear power. A nuclear fission reactor might fulfill most of the moon-based power requirements. With the help of fission reactors, one could overcome the difficulty of the 354-hour lunar night. According to NASA, a nuclear fission power station could generate a steady 40 kilowatts, equivalent to the demand of about eight houses on Earth. An artist's conception of such a station published by NASA envisages a reactor being buried below the moon's surface to shield it from its surroundings, out from a tower-like generator part reaching above the surface over the reactor. Radiators would extend into space and send away any heat energy that might be left over. Radioisotope thermoelectric generators could be used as backup and emergency power sources for solar-powered colonies. One specific development program in the 2000s was the Fission Space Surface Power Project of NASA and the Department of Energy, a fission power system focused on developing and demonstrating a nominal 40-kilowatt power system to support human exploration missions. 
The fission surface power system concept uses conventional low temperature stainless steel liquid metal cooled reactor technology coupled with Stirling power conversion. As of 2010, significant component hardware testing had been successfully completed and a non-nuclear system demonstration test was being fabricated. Next would be solar energy. Solar energy is possible source of power for the lunar base. Many of the raw materials needed for solar panel production can be extracted on site. However, in the long lunar nights, once again that 354 hours, is a drawback for the solar power on the moon's surface. This might be solved by building several power plants so that at least one of them is always in daylight. Another possibility was to build such a power plant where there is constant or near constant sunlight, such as the Malapert Mountains near the lunar south pole, or on the rim of Perry Crater near the North Pole. Since lunar regolith contains structural metals like iron and aluminum, solar panels could be mounted up high on locally built towers that might rotate to follow the sun. A third possibility would be to leave the panels in orbit and beam the power down as microwaves. The solar energy converters needed not be silicon solar panels, it may be more advantageous to use the larger temperature difference between the sun and the shade to run heat engine generators. Concentrated sunlight could also be relayed via mirrors and use it used in Stirling engines or solar trough generators. Or it could be used directly for lightning, lighting, agricultural, and process heat. The focused heat might also be employed in materials processing to extract various elements from lunar surface materials. In the early days, a combination of solar panels for daytime operation and fuel cells for nighttime operations could be used. Energy storage is a big deal. Fuel cells on the space shuttle have operated reliably for up to 17 Earth days at a time. On the moon, they would only be needed for 354 hours or 14 and three quarter days, the length of the lunar night. Fuel cells produce water directly as a waste product. Current fuel cell technology is more advanced than the shuttle cells. Proton exchange membrane cells produce considerably less heat though their waste heat would likely be useful during the lunar night, and are lighter, not to mention the reduced mass of the smaller heat-dissipating radiators. This makes proton exchange membranes more economical to launch from Earth than the shuttle cells. Just a note, proton exchange membranes have not been proven or tested in space yet. Combining fuel cells with electrolysis would provide a perpetual source of electricity. Solar energy could be used to provide power during the lunar day and fuel cells at night. During the lunar day, solar energy would also be used to electrolyze the water created in the fuel cells, although there would be small losses of gases that would have to be replaced. 
even if lunar colonies could provide themselves access to near-continuous solar energy, they would still need to maintain fuel cells or an alternative energy storage system to sustain themselves during the lunar, eclipse, lunar eclipses and emergency situations. Now we're going to speak about transportation. How do you get to the Earth, to the Moon? Conventional rockets have been used for most lunar explorations to date. The European Space Agency's SMART-1 mission from 2003 to 2006 used conventional chemical rockets to reach orbit and Hall effect thrusters to arrive at the Moon in 13 months. NASA would have used chemical rockets on its Ares 5 boosters and lunar surface access module that were being developed for a planned return to the Moon around 2019, but this was canceled. The construction workers, location finders, and other astronauts vital to building would have to be taken four at a time in NASA's Orion spacecraft. And don't forget, there's always proposed com concepts of Earth-Moon transportations, such as space elevators that are always floating about. Lunar colonists will want the ability to transport cargo and people to and from modules and spacecraft and to carry out scientific study of larger areas of the lunar surface for a long period of time. Proposed concepts include a variety of vehicles designed from small open, open rovers to large pressurized modules with lab equipment and also a few flying or hopping vehicles. Rovers could be useful if the terrain is not too steep or hilly. The only rovers to have operated on the surface of the moon are the three Apollo lunar roving vehicles developed by Boeing and the two robotic Soviet linacoids. The LRV was an open rover for a crew of two and a range of 92 kilometers during one lunar day. One NASA study resulted in the mobile lunar laboratory concept, a manned pressurized rover for a crew of two with a range of 396 kilometers. The Soviet Union developed different rover concepts in the Lukenhood series and the L-5 for possible use on future manned missions to the Moon or Mars. These rover designs were all pressurized for longer sorties. If multiple bases were established on the lunar surface, they could be linked together by permanent railway systems both conventional and magnetic levitation, known as maglev systems, have been proposed for the transport lines. Maglev systems are particularly attractive as there is no atmosphere on the surface to slow the train. So the vehicles could achieve velocities comparable to aircraft on Earth. One significant difference with the lunar trains, however, is that the cars would need to be individually sealed and possess their own life support systems. For difficult areas, a flying vehicle would may be more suitable. Bell, Bell Aerosystems proposed their design for the lunar flying vehicle as part of a study for NASA. Bell also developed the manned flying system, 
a similar concept. Now from the moon's surface out to deep space. What kind of launch technology could we put on the moon? Experience so far indicates that launching human beings into space is much more expensive than launching cargo. One way to get materials and products from the moon to an interplanetary way station might be a mass driver, a magnetically accelerated projectile launcher. Cargo would be picked up from orbit or on an Earth-Moon Lagrangian point by shuttlecraft using ion propulsion, solar sails, or other means and delivered to Earth orbit or other destinations such as near-Earth asteroids, Mars, or other planets, perhaps using the interplanetary transport network. A lunar space elevator could transport people, raw materials, and products to and from orbital station at Lagrangian points L1 or L2. Chemical rockets would take a payload from Earth to the L1 lunar Langrange Lagrange location. From there, a tether would slower, lower the, slowly lower the payload to a soft landing on the lunar surface. Other possibilities include a momentum, momentum exchange tether system. Launch costs. Here's where the rubber hits the road. Estimates of the cost per unit mass of launching cargo or people from the moon vary, and the cost impacts of future technological improvements are difficult to predict. An upper bound on the cost of launching material from the moon might be about $40 million per kilogram, based on dividing the Apollo program cost by the amount of material returned. At the other extreme, the incremental cost of launching material from the moon using an electromagnetic accelerator could be quite low. The efficiency of launching material from the moon with a proposed electric accelerator is suggested to be about 50%. If the carriage of a mass driver weighs the same as the cargo, two kilograms must be accelerated to orbital velocity for each kilogram put into orbit the overall system efficiency would drop to 25%. So 1.4 kilowatt hours would be needed to launch an incremental kilogram of cargo to low orbit from the moon. At one cent per kilowatt hour, a typical cost for electrical power on Earth, that is amounts to 16 cents for the energy to launch a kilogram of cargo into orbit. For the actual cost of an operating system, energy loss for powering conditions, the cost of radiating waste heat, the cost of maintaining all systems, and the interest cost of the capital investment are considerations. Passengers cannot be divided into the parcel size suggested for the cargo of a mass driver, nor subjected to hundreds of gravities of acceleration However, the technical developments could also affect the cost of launching passengers to orbit from the moon. Instead of bringing all fuel and oxidizers from Earth, liquid oxygen could be produced from lunar materials 
and hydrogen should be available from the lunar pearls. The cost of producing these on, moon, on the moon is yet unknown, but they will be more expensive than production costs on Earth. The situation of the local hydrogen is almost open to speculation. As a rocket fuel, hydrogen could be extended by combining it chemically with silicon to form silane, which has yet to be demonstrated on an actual rocket engine. Your journey is now ending. the Sapphire Planet. Goodbye from the Sapphire Planet. Own a piece of the planet. Now you can purchase Sapphire Planet merchandise online at sapphireplanet.com.